Welcome back from wherever you just were. Maybe you were here the whole time. I took a little, a little traveling, a little time traveling myself. During the meditation. So this evening I wanted to um, uh, talk about the really the core, I believe, the, the real idea of what is it that we're actually trying to establish in the practice. And sometimes that can be a really hard question to answer. Uh, is it, what, what, is, what is the goal? Or what, is, what is it that we're actually trying to see and change and understand about life or experience? Is it mindfulness? Is it just to be mindful all the time? Is it just to be kind all the time? What, what's the what's the gist? What's the theme? And I was uh, I'm getting ready to uh, teach a, a long intensive course with Cheryl Sleen on the four foundations of mindfulness. So me and Cheryl met yesterday and we're talking about that and we're going to use uh, Joseph Goldstein's book Mindfulness. If you're looking for a book on mindfulness. Joseph Goldstein recently. Uh, published a book called Mindfulness, and I think it's really great. It's very easy to follow, and it really unpacks it all. But I was watching a clip, a, a video clip that he did, and somebody asked him um, if he could sum up Buddhist practice or Dharma practice in one sentence, what would the sentence be? And he said, liberation through non-clinging. Liberation through non-clinging, which is a big concept and a big theme, and many variations on that particular theme. Uh, the way that my mind works, and one of the reasons I love uh, Dharma practice, and I love Buddhism, and I love the, the, the concepts and the ideas that we find in the practice, the one thing I love about it the most is that I find the more that I practice, I can verify particular aspects of the Buddhist teachings. I'm like, oh, that's true. That also seems to be true. There's a verification process that happens. And then we start to feel more confident about our practice. And that, you know, it starts with these themes. You know, the theme is mindfulness is one of the themes here. But when we start to de deconstruct mindfulness and what that means, there's lots of variations on that theme. And, and suffering is a, a theme. But suffering, is a lot of variations on the theme of suffering. There's lots of ways in which one can suffer. Compassion, a theme. The psychology of, of, of experience, Buddhist psychology is a theme. But when we start to unpack it and look at all the different variables, it becomes quite complicated. And the Buddha, when, when pushed, would say, you know, people ask him, what does he teach? He said, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. And, and the way that we do that, the, the process that we engage in, is how do we liberate ourselves uh, by not clinging? And so how, how does one not cling? And one of the things that I think is a little challenging for me about the practice is one of the things that, that, that Buddhism has done, or the way that the, the Pali language, all of the Buddhist teachings, clinging means uh, upadana. To cling is upadana. And so we had to translate the word upadana into English, and we have this word clinging or grasping. 
But when they, one of the things that seems to happen is when they want you to not do something, they conveniently park the word non in front of it. So we have non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, non-clinging, non-grasping. You know, so what's non-greed? I know what greed is, but what is non-greed? It's like, well, I'm not sure. It seems to me maybe generosity, renunciation. But I find that the, the, when they put non in front of the word, I, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. And, you know, the whole structure of the Four Noble Truths points us to variations in themes. So the theme in the First Noble Truth is that uh, life is dukkha, life is difficult, life is dissatisfying, suffering exists. And that's because of birth, we take birth, we get old, we get sick, we, get, we die. Uh, we don't always get what we want. Sometimes we get what we don't want. Uh, we come into contact with experiences that we don't like. We lose experiences that we do like. And, and then he says, in brief, the five aggregates are dukkha. And so the five aggregates is uh, the way that the Buddha breaks down all the totality of experience into these five things, into the forms that we see, the forms of, of sensory experience, sound, sights, taste, color, smell, sensations, thoughts. Uh, the feelings that we have about those, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings about those, the perception that we have about that, the way we make meaning, everything means something, as you might have noticed. I'm a, my mind is a meaning-making machine. What I'm going to do about that and then the consciousness that just all of these experiences are happening. And then, uh, so the second noble truth, he says that uh, the cause of our suffering is craving or repetitive craving, tanha. Uh, he wallows in greed and attachment, obsessively indulging in this and that, pushing away, clinging towards. And then he says in the second noble truth, that the five aggregates of clinging, we cling to the aggregates and we suffer. Kanda Upadana is the term. What is a Kanda Upadana? You are all Kanda Upadanas. I am a Kanda Upadana. I am a clinging bundle. It feels kind of insulting. <laughs> but totally true. I'm like, yeah, I cling to different things constantly. So clinging also, too, is a problematic word, kanda upadana, clinging to experience. Whether we cling to forms, we cling to feelings. I want to cling to pleasant feelings. I want to cling to pleasant ideas. I want to cling to pleasant plans and future about what I'm going to become in the future. But there's also this other side of the coin that sometimes in our English language doesn't work. Clinging also means to push away. So there's, there's, even craving implies a sense of, of grabbing at and pulling in. That's half of the equation. The other half of craving, the other half of clinging is, is the resistance and the pushing away that I need to get rid of is also clinging. So we cling to have different aspects of bundles, but we also cling to get rid of. We cling to push away unpleasantness, we cling to push away pain in the body. We, 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 we want to push away lots of things. There's some things in my life that I would like to get rid of. 
and I cling to that. So we can actually, if we get really uh, kind of off the track of the whole structure of the practice, we can cling to not clinging. And we can give ourselves a really hard time about this. We can really blame and give ourselves a hard time. Uh, the Buddha said not to cling, I'm clinging, or if there's something wrong with me, why am I clinging? And to me, it, 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 it so blows my mind and trips me out sometimes how much I can give myself a hard time. It's like the core of the practice, liberation through non-clinging. So if the Buddha has all these themes and all these variations, and the core theme is that there's going to be clinging, what he's saying is that there's just going to be lots and lots of clinging. You know, you're, that, that, that's going to be happening. That is a key aspect of the, of the psychology of the mind. The mind clings. That's what it does. That's what minds do. That's what khandas do. They cling. It's like, that's how the motor operates. So if you notice and find yourself clinging at times, then you're perfectly normal human being. So sometimes we can get into this strategy around the practice of kind of missing the point. And then we get into, well, I shouldn't cling because clinging creates suffering and I don't want to suffer anymore. So now I'm just trying to fix the thing with the thing. Uh, and now I'm, I'm clinging to not clinging and I'm finding that I'm aversive and I'm pushing against and I'm, I'm blaming. Or even I'm being dishonest and saying, I'm actually, I'm, I don't really cling so much anymore. Been practicing for all these years, and then clinging. Gave that one up a long time ago. And I cling to things several times a minute. That's probably about the right, accurate aspect of that. So I think it's very important that we take this theme of clinging and 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 become. Uh, using it as a gateway into uh, the practice, which really asks for an honest, an honest engagement into what's happening. Because if, if this is the fundamental idea, and the Buddha's pointing out timeless, it's, you know, Kanda Upadana clinging to the aggregates is literally on every other page of the Pali Canon. It's just there constantly. So he must be trying to point us to the fact that this is something you're going. This is a theme that's going to be reoccurring constantly. So be mindful of it. Be aware of it. Understand it. Don't try to be above it because I'm a Buddhist now, so I don't claim anymore. No, this is actually the active engagement of the practice itself. <laughs> and so, how do we enter into the domain of clinging uh, with a kind of curiosity? Interest. How do I cling? What do I cling to? What do I push away? Hmm. How does that work for me? And then in bringing mindfulness to that reality. And so if we're going to non-cling, probably need to have a pretty concise understanding of the process in which it works. So I'll try to... And of course, the process to which this works, some of you are probably familiar with the teachings of dependent origination. And this is sort of the way the Buddha lays it out. 
but I want to talk about it in maybe more of a practical sense and not give you some educational lecture on some uh, complicated Buddhist teaching. So clinging is about grabbing and it's also about pushing away. So we have to understand that it's both. It's not, it's not just this, it's also this. And so it's important, I find, to... Uh, there's actually three qualities that I try to bring to the practice in this regard, as approaching the second noble truth, approaching my aggregate system, my clinging bundledness. Uh, is that, I, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I really need to be interested. I want to be curious about this. If the Buddha said this is going to happen, and if it's on every other page of the Pali Canon, and it's a huge aspect of the psychology of what he teaches, that means it's probably going to be happening a lot, and I probably need to become familiar with how it operates and how it works in my direct experience. If I'm going to non-do it, I'm probably going to have to see all of the ways in which I am doing it. So I need to be curious. I want to be almost fascinated. I also want to be compassionate. I want to know that this is, this is the cause of suffering. This is when I'm clinging, when I'm really in, in, in a strong sense of clinging, I'm creating suffering for myself. So I want to also enter the experience with some degree of care and compassion. And curiosity and compassion are huge aspects of mindfulness anyway. And, and most of us start to understand that these are qualities that we need to have and skills that we develop in the context of meditation. But the third one that I think is not so obvious that I'm a big fan of and I think is very important and doesn't get mentioned is how do we actually be creative in the practice? And to not uh, get too didactic and too uh, needing the practice to be a certain way because we have all these different elaborate teachings and we have all different teachers talk about different things in different ways and it can become quite confusing. And so, I said this last night for those of you who are here, but you know, I, I, I'm a musician, I play music, so that's one of the analogies I... I feel is helpful to me. And so like, I can play music, so I also feel like when we're meditating, we actually kind of have to learn how to play a little bit. We kind of have to have enough of skills where we can make the shapes or the chords. Or we can, uh, there's a playfulness to it. There's a, a sense of when I'm practicing, I want to be kind of interested in what's coming up around the next corner. Where is my mind going? Rather than like, I just got to, you know, sit here for 30 minutes and pay attention to my breath until they ring the fucking bell and I can go. <laughs> <laughs> like meditation practice starts to become just another thing I got to get through. <laughs> I've been on a retreat spin like, man, I just got to get through this retreat. You know, and four more days. And if I could just get through. And a lot of times I get that feeling in my life a lot of times. My life is this thing I got to get through. And how many... You know, even being in traffic or being at work, how many times do you find yourself in an experience where you're like, I just gotta get through this? <laughs> Airports and like traffic and lines and just like meetings and shit, half my life I feel like I just gotta get through this. <laughs> I can go have a cup of coffee, I can make a phone call, I can check my Facebook, I can enjoy life once I get through this fucking unbearable experience. That, these people have put me in. <laughs> or, can I actually shift that and be interested in how I'm actually creating that whole 
sense of this is something I gotta get through because that's the type of clinging. I need this to be over. <laughs> I really need this to be over. So what's happening? Are you interested in how that got built? No, you're interested in this needs to be over and it needs to be over really soon and then I can be at ease. So the way that I find that it makes most sense or the way that I like to think about it is, is, is how do I engage in these kinds of experiences when I feel like I need to get through something? Which I love because I get to practice all the time now. And so, you know, what, what I find is, is that, you know, like perception is a huge part of our experience. One of the five aggregates, the way that I perceive the experience, the way that I inform myself, I'm, I'm, I'm perceiving this as an unpleasant, difficult experience that shouldn't be happening, that I need to get through. So I become identified. So the first thing that happens in the mind, in the psychology, is we become identified with the particular experience that we're in. You know, it just... We start to have ideas about it, concepts about it. We label it. We have our memory system, which reminds us and remember all the other experiences like this one, all the other things I had to get through. And this is just another version of that theme. You know, there's another thing I have to get through. And I have all these other variations of all the other times in my life that I've been in a situation like this before. And here's just another thing I have to get through. So I become identified with that. And, and if I stay with that, so now that I be, once I become identified with something, it's almost like it pulls me in now. I, I'm, of course, not in my breath. I'm not in my body. I'm not in fundamental mindfulness skills. I'm, I'm really starting to become uh, pulled into that idea of this experience that I'm having. And it becomes magnified. Right? It becomes... Um, I become more convinced about the idea. You know, I'm identified with it, and, and, and the magnification of it is it just it starts to take on new shapes and new colors, and, and then I'm, and I have more memories about this experience, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. Right? It's going to take this long. It shouldn't take this long. It becomes magnified, and, we, and at this point, we're, we're, we're really tied into it. We're really kind of bought into the story. And this is a type of clinging. And in, in, the, in the dependent origination chain, it would be a sense that there's a feeling that arises, there's a craving, there's a clinging, which is where we start to think about it, and then we get into this thing called becoming. Well, becoming just means that this is becoming very real now. I'm identified with it. It's been magnified enough to the point where it's really becoming. I'm actually like almost encouraging the view, the attitude, the perception the shouldn't be, the gotta get through. I'm actually, uh, one of the ways that Upadana is described in the canon is to feed on, which I think is a really great analogy. That Upadana means a type of feeding. You know? Which, is, which to me is very different than clinging, but I feel much more accurate. But that would be weird if we said the cause of suffering is feeding. <laughs> But we do that. The mind feeds on the perception, on the, on the magnification, on the it's like this, it's like this, it's going to be like this, it's always like this. I've been in this situation before and it was like that. And, and, and to some degree, uh, 
I'm actually creating that reality for myself. But I don't really see that. I don't notice that. I'm not interested in not being curious about that. I'm more interested in now I'm so externally focused that I'm actually creating the experience. And I may be even starting to suffer a little bit. There's a lot of not wanting happening or there's some resistance happening. It shouldn't be like this. This shouldn't be happening. Have you ever had this, uh, one of these attitudes? You've ever been doing something and thinking to yourself, this should not be happening right now. <laughs> right? It's just the insanity of that concept to me is hilarious. Like, really? <laughs> says who? Says me. I mean, this is not, um, this wasn't on my fucking schedule today. I woke up this morning, I checked my schedule, this wasn't on it. And then you're looking around to all the other people who don't have the same, like, don't you all see what's going on here? Am I the only one who realizes that this shouldn't be happening right now? And like, yeah, you're probably the only one. <laughs> Everybody else has their variation on that theme of how this shouldn't be happening right now. It's like standing in line at the DMV, everybody's pissed. <laughs> in their own special, unique kind of way. <laughs> this shouldn't be happening right well, you drove over there. You knew that. <laughs> Did you think you were going to have a pleasant experience at the DMV? <laughs> Shouldn't be taking this long. Right? But how curious are you in that experience? You're not curious at all. You're very curious in that experience being different. Very interested in how I can change the furniture in the room right now. Very interested in the conditions that I find myself in and how they could be. I'm real interested in that but I'm not interested in the fact that I'm actually projecting that onto reality and I'm actually making that. And that's becoming. So this uh, upadana, bhavana, becoming. It's becoming very real. Now it's affecting me. I'm suffering a little bit. My emotions are getting involved. And once my emotions get involved, then I become real convinced. I become angry and irritated and frustrated. And emotions are so intense and so real that they actually, to me, are the greatest convincer of all. Once my emotions get involved in the magnification and the becoming process, I'm just like, this is totally really happening. And i got to get through this. This is unfair. It is what it is. And you know, you, you all know what I mean. You, you have all these interesting ways in which you contribute and feed on this idea. And so this is where the magnification is becoming proliferation. We're proliferating into the story. Papancha is the Pali word, which is another type of feeding. As a, as a papancha, is a, is a mental proliferation. Now we're just, all of our attention, all of our focus, all of our perception, all of our inclination, all of our energy, all of our psychological energy is just basically taken birth and become into this particular experience that I'm having. And of course, the more, the stronger you get pulled into the clinging, the harder it is to back out of it. And how fast does it take to go from identification to magnification to proliferation? About that fast. And you're in. You're just in. And then the, the thing that starts to become, I, I notice about this is where 
this is usually if I'm going to be honest, the next part I'm going to talk about is really when I start to actually become mindful and aware of the fact that all of what I just said is happening. Because I, I can I can tease this out for you, but I miss this all the time. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, you know, I can unpack it and deconstruct it so we can talk about it, but I, I, I can't tell you how often I find myself just missing it. Because I'm convinced it really should not be. <laughs> or it should be like, I can always, the mind can always imagine a better than. If you are looking to find something wrong about the present time experience, you will find it immediately. It's like not that hard to do, to point out something that's just not quite right about this. And that's what we call dukkha, which is a characteristic of all phenomena. So you might see it probably in everything. So there's that. But the, you know, when it becomes the proliferation and the magnification and we really start to get cooked up and the emotions get involved, this really shouldn't be happening or this should be happening. If it becomes, if this is the point where it becomes exaggerated. It becomes a, what I call exaggeration. Where actually the mind becomes warped into a, a really kind of unrealistic unreal, sense of delusion about what's happening. You know, and for me, the exaggeration is usually more not about the not wanting, but about how much better my life would be if. You know, that, that exaggeration, that becoming that story. You know, when, whether it's a relationship change or a job change or a move. When you think to yourself, my life would be better if, when you do that little psychological strategy, which you probably do several times a day. Or an hour. Hour. Three times already since the time we talked. <laughs> and let's just be honest. There's always, a, 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 I find, a strong sense of exaggeration at some point where I really start to think how amazing and how great things really would be if. You know, and the exaggeration of that. And this is usually, the, the exaggeration is usually when my uh, mindfulness kicks in or when my, whatever my practice kicks in, goes, all right, you're getting really, this is getting fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I'm either craving really hard, I'm clinging really hard, I'm so convinced it's going to be great, or I'm totally in the like, you know, like I'm ready to go like tell somebody. <laughs> this is, you know, it's just like so exaggerated. So exaggerated. And I'm mostly just suffering at that point. Uh, and, and what am I doing, actually, if I really stop and look? It's like, well, I'm, I'm standing in a building right now. Or I'm in traffic. or I'm, uh, A lot of times I find this happens relationally. Like if I'm, uh, you know, having a conversation with a friend or an argument with a friend or a co-worker or another Dharma teacher. We're trying to hash something out or come to agreement about something and I'll just look at them and be like I can't even believe that you think that that's what's happening right now you are so fucking wrong <laughs> that I can't even I, I'm like don't even think I can talk to you anymore like, we're done here I'm so right you're so wrong there's no way that you're seeing this clearly and we're all seeing, we're always, always seeing everything a little bit distorted anyway. How accurate is our view? 
ever really. Perception. And so again, this is this is this is all clinging. This is all variations on the theme of how we cling. And then what happens with the exaggeration and the and so this is another type of becoming if we break down becoming becoming turns and goes into the structure of the Four Noble Truths and it becomes birth, old age, sickness, and death. And then whatever the exaggeration is, whatever the experience is, it ends. We finish the thing at the DMV and we're back in the car. Whatever the event is that we find ourselves in, it does, because of impermanence, change and end. And it's over now. And oftentimes we can look back and be like, oh, I just totally suffered my face off for the last three hours. And I actually probably could have avoided that. Or, or if it's the type of clinging or the exaggeration where we imagine our lives, how it could be, we can't, of course, manufacture that in a, in a timeline that we deem appropriate. So we can think about it, we can think about it, we can think about it. We can make all the plans and all the things. Well, I just did this, and I moved over there, and I got this job. And this I, I can totally imagine how much better it would be, but then what happens is that, that gets old, doesn't it? can't keep it going. I can't uh, keep that becoming. I can't actually become it. This is what Carl Jung points to uh, around human suffering and around these types of strategies where he says you can never get enough of something that almost works. (laughs) Which is my favorite thing to say lately because it seems to be an ongoing theme I find myself in. It's like I can, you know, I can imagine all these things and I can I can think of all the ways in which this shouldn't be happening right now, and I can imagine how I would do things differently. And I can imagine how all of you could behave differently and how much better it would be for all of us. But I can't follow through on any of it. I can't make any of it happen. Not in, you know, the next 30 minutes or the next week or the next month or whatever it is. And so, you know, these, these uh, systems, these uh, psychological types of clinging and proliferating into the mind, they, they, they happen really fast. So the, the, create, the creative and the compassionate and the, the curious aspect of it, I find, is I, I, I want to be interested in the, my theme around these things. What are the things, am I interested in the things that I think should be different? Am I interested in the things that I think should be happening? And and, and start to actually sit into that and to be like, a lot of my opinions and my views and my perceptions, unrealistic, inaccurate, and certainly unhelpful. So, how much stock and how much trust do I want to put in my intellect and in my perception and my ways in which my mind operates. And, and to be uh, creative about it, I feel, when I think about meditation practice again as being experiential, and I think basically life in general as being fairly experiential. I remember when I turned 40, a year ago, I remember getting this huge sense of like looking around at the world and being like, nobody has any idea what's going on. 
<laughs> at all. Like, you know, you grow up as a kid and you're convinced that adults sort of run shit. And, like, they pretty much, they all have, like, a meeting every week and talk about it. And, you know, you think that that, and then, you know, you, all of a sudden you're 40 and you're like, oh, I'm one of those adults now. And you're like, I fucking have no clue. And you're looking at everybody else going, you guys have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> Nobody has any idea. Everybody's making it up as they go along, literally. So how, you know, how much stock do I want to put in that? And so can I you know, have a sense of humor about these types of things and not get so tight and so rigid and so clinging in my own practice of the liberation of non-clinging. You're not going to cling your way into uh, liberation. You know? And it's like, you know, for years it was like, I would come to Dharma talks and I would sit retreats and I had this delusional sense that if I could just really understand what they're saying, if I could just, I wanted to get it, and I wanted to just get it, and I figured once, if I could get it, I would have it, and it would be, I'd be finished. It's like, once I sit this many retreats, I'll be fine. You know, once I read this many books, once I really understand these uh, teachings, it's like, once I really understand it, then everything will be okay. And it's just, you're never finished, you're never done, it's all just a big experiment. You're probably not going to stop clinging anytime soon. <laughs> you're probably going to cling 1,700 times between now and the moment you walk through your door at your house. It's fine, it's totally cool. Get over it. But be interested in it. Be honest about that. Don't be in denial. That's the hard part, I think. You know, don't be in denial about the ways in which you create these structures in your experiences, realities in your mind, and how you become so convinced, if only, then. Right? It's like... A, one of my favorite teachers, Stephen Baxter, talks about this like equation of like, if only X, then Y equals permanent happiness for me forever. <laughs> and that's, that's basically like, you know, the strategy of the human realm. And basically what we're learning here, what we're seeing here is actually that that's, that's the strategy for suffering. <clears throat> if only this, then that. And then that would be the best thing ever for me. And if I could just get rid of this, if I could just have that, right in the sutta, right in the sutta, the Buddha says, craving, tana, obsessively indulging in this and that. Well, what's this and what's that? It's like, well, fill in the blanks. Whatever this and that is right now, this job, that relationship, this amount of money, that person behaving differently, you know? Like, it's just, you could just end, add infinitum, you never finish if you wanted to try to get that, that strategy to play out. And part of, I think, the, the, the ethical, compassionate forgiveness is, is to learn how to not beat ourselves to death, to, not, to learn how to not beat ourselves up so much for the suffering that we create around us, because then that's just more clinging. 
you know? When I think of a forgiveness practice, I think about it in a very ordinary way. Now, I used to think about forgiveness practices like the big burden of all the shit I need to like let go of. You know, when someone says forgiveness, my mind goes to my biggest resentment immediately. <laughs> I'm like, nope, forget it. Forgiveness doesn't work. It's like, well, what about just forgiving yourself for the fact that you spent three hours today suffering over something completely ridiculous? You know, it happens. It's going to happen. Right, to look back at it and almost go, like, yeah, oh, that was that was weird. <laughs> we do these exercises. I used to do these uh, these uh, dialogue exercises with people I worked with in substance abuse and with teenagers. Where we kind of take turns talking about. I think you know, like I'd be happy if, and then you finish a sentence. And, and yes, you do this exercise for now. Everybody in the room is just like, dude, we're all so crazy. Like, do you really think? <laughs> well, I'd be happy if it's just like, and that's just kind of what happens. And to have a sense of humor about it. And to play with it a little bit. And to just be like, interested in the ways in which your mind is creating that sense of magnification and exaggeration and the way you're thinking about it. And it, it takes the edge off. It takes the sharpness away from it. Especially when you come out of the other side of it, because I know that all the times I get spit out from the other side, and I look back and I'm like, okay, that was like two and a half weeks of that. That was brutal. Okay. Now that I'm honest about it, now that I've seen it, now that I've examined it, it's probably going to be less likely that I'm going to get stuck into that one again. So that's you know, when we start to look on the variation of a theme, the theme being non-clinging. Be interested in all of the variations in which you find that to be the case. Or 